It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Pam Devine. Pam, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show. You are one half of the Low Carb USA duo. We were very privileged to interview your wonderful husband, Doug. Uh, I'm going to say yesterday, but in the context of when this will be released, I'm going to probably release them at the same time so people can feast on one and then be hungry for the next one in whatever order. Oh, that's very cool, Laban. I wasn't sure if you would, we were going to say recently or how, how you were going to time it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we'll, it would make common sense to have them at the same time because I think the message that that uh, we are hearing from the Low Carb USA team, Dream Team, is a very important one. And um, particularly uh, the female perspective as well because our, our audience is a blended bunch, and so we're very grateful to have you on the podcast today. So thank you again, Pam. This is going to be awesome. Looking forward to it and really grateful to um, have you have me here, Levin. Appreciate it. So we were able to hear from Doug his his background and how he ended up in this crazy world of, of low carb. And I, the obvious question for me is, how did you end up in this crazy world of low carb, Pam? Yeah, who would have ever thought, you know, um, if we go back, I grew up in a household that in the 70s had your typical cereal boxes of Captain Crunch. And I mean, think I think we were even taste testers for a white labeled, um, very sugary sweetened something. And I remember we had to provide feedback about did we like it? And I'm sure we always wanted more. Um, we had donuts after donut runs after church. We had I'm I can remember and I tell the story often and I'm so just surprised by this. My mom used to take us to the pediatric dentist, and on the way home, we would go to the soda pop shop. They were little tiny bottles of soda that were all different flavors. So we could get a case of them of any flavors we wanted that we could pick out, and they were in rows of different flavors. And I think. How ironic. I would go to the dentist and then I would go get soda to bring home and drink. And, you know, all of the sweets. And when I was in high school, I had a friend come over and say, wow, you have a lot of junk food in your house. And I thought, well, isn't everybody's house like this? I mean, we kind of my mom always put there were uh, I don't know if you had the brand name Hostess Cupcakes and they had these chocolate covered uh, things that were called Ding Dongs by the hostess company. I don't know if you guys had that company or not in Australia and chip uh, chips, you know, um, crunchy chips, um, crisps. Do you call them crisps? I uh, call them chips, but we you call we've them seen, chips there. 
We've seen I enough American TV over the course of our lives to know what Ding Dongs, Twinkies and Crisps and Chips are. All of that stuff. I know I always have to go around like Doug being from South Africa. I've, I've adjusted a lot of my, I know, usually I know what in South Africa they'll, they have been familiar with, but yeah. So, you know, fast forward into my working years Um we talked about it. I was in the medical profession and, you know, I was always looking for a sugar sweetened coffee, um, a sugar sweetened treat to get me through the day, especially in the afternoon. And when Doug st- got an email from a friend of ours that said something about glucose as an alternative source to um, ketones as an alternative source to glucose. And, you know, you heard his story it perked his ears up as a runner saying, wait a minute, what? Um and he started down the rabbit hole of the science behind ketogenic diet, ketones, and low carb. And he was talking about it. And I thought, what is this, right? Um, he tells the story about how he told me, okay, we're going to the grocery store. And I have a list of things we're going to get. First of all, I said, you're going to the grocery store with me? <laughs> and you have a list? <laughs> What's going on in the world? Um but, and it had, you know, full fat, some full fat dairy and yogurt that was really hard to find at the time. There was like in the wall of low fat flavored yogurts, so there was a little low fat yogurt down here. I mean, a high fat yogurt down here that was very expensive, by the way. And, and I couldn't understand like what we were, what, what we were doing and, you know, what we were going down and where I, I think I even said, where are we going to get our vitamins, you know? kind of like some of the people, it's not an uncommon question, right? That people will ask. Um, and I think most of it was, if I'm not going to be eating fortified grains, I wasn't thinking about vegetables and fruits and any of the food group being minimized or changed at all. I was thinking about the fortified grains. Like I'm not going to have fortified grains to get my vitamins from, which is bizarre, like <laughs> base plant, right? <laughs> And so, so. Th- this is this is the journey. This is the progression into um, what's kind of known as a, a low carb um, lifestyle. And and uh, just to link up from the conversation with Doug, uh, it was a, a, an advertisement spam, an advertisement to sell exogenous ketones uh, in place of using glucose. And so there's this whole paradigm shift that you've experienced. And how long ago was this? How long ago, how many years ago was this? 2015, it would have been the summer of 2015. So I'll go on five years, over five years now. Okay, so five years ago. And what, what state was your health at that point, Pam? That's the thing that was going on with Doug and I. Like, I have to say, I've always been fairly careful with what I've eaten and in my weight, although I had a sweet tooth. Um, and we were working in a very stressful job. We had... Um, we had some job losses and then we had some job changes and we were working in a very unfamiliar territory um, for somebody who was running a startup company who asked us to come in and be on the executive team of putting it all in place. It was very stressful. There was no money coming in and it was kind of run behind him and put everything into place because he had this big dream that he would kind of put out to everybody that this was coming and then we'd have to put it all together and I was literally sitting at my desk with chocolate bars and cookies and things that I could grab. And then 
there was the other part of me that when they wanted to have a meeting and they were like, let's get pizza. I was like, let's not get pizza again. Like I really can't keep eating. I don't want to eat pizza. Um, because sitting at a desk job and in an office, I was putting on pounds that I hadn't planned. I hadn't seen coming and I didn't actually know why. Um, I was tired all the time. Um, and the hangry episodes would just get me like terrible. I remember, you know, I was really thought I was doing really well. I would have oatmeal in the morning with the low fat, uh, yogurt flavored yogurt and a granola bar or a banana. It was probably a, um, a granola bar, banana, low fat yogurt, and a coffee, a tea or something. And then I would get a coffee, another coffee on the way to work or it was either or oatmeal or the granola bar. So I thought, you know, I was eating the healthy heart, healthy diet in the morning. But by the time I finished that coffee that I got low fat, I was skinny coffee at Starbucks, a skinny mocha, but it's skim milk and still had as much sugar in it. And I didn't realize, you know, that was to my detriment because by 10 a.m. I wanted to I was shaking and I wanted to kill somebody. And I was like, I have to go. I have to go. There was a deli around the corner. I was like, I have to get hard boiled eggs. I like have to have salty hard boiled eggs like right now. (laughs) My body was craving fat and salt and protein to get me through the morning to lunch. And I would literally be like, when am I going to, am I going to be able to go? You know, can I go now? Um, and, you know, get to that thinking about lunch. I was still trying to have like cut out the white stuff. You probably, we've all heard, right. No white potatoes, no white bread, no, none of the white stuff. So I was trying to eat less bread already, but I was doing the whole grain rice Uh, whole grain bread in a sandwich. Um, There was a neat shop that I could go to every once in a while around the corner from the office that did some real nice homemade salmon with a whole grain rice and maybe a nice soup that they made there. Um, But the rice was still doing me in and I was still packing on a little bit of weight here and there. I was probably 20, I probably got to about 25 pounds more than I had been comfortable with in my, when I turned in my thirties. And I was at my heaviest and I was like, what is going on? I was asking for Christmas. I was asking my family. We always buy clothes and a few things. And, you know, what do you want? I'm like, can you get me the stretchy pants? Because my pants aren't fitting me sitting in this office chair and I'm really uncomfortable. (laughs) The stretchy pants. (laughs) And and I don't want to put you on the spot here, Pam, but I I, I think it's really important for our audience that are able to watch the, the video version of this. To, to understand how old you are. So if you're not comfortable, don't no, say I was actually forgot I was going to go there. During that time, I was going into menopause and at 46 and I'm going to be 50. We were just talking about that. I'll be 52 next week. I was 46 at the time going into menopause and I was like, what is going on? Hot flashes, um, terrible. And that was leading probably more to my weight gain and my... Um, ups and downs with energy levels and hunger and that kind of stuff. I don't think I had the moods as much as some people would, but that definitely attributed to um, that weight gain, I'm sure, because it made it really hard. And men always lose. Even when we did start, men dug, you know, lost really quickly and really easily. Men usually lose much easier than we do um, as women in middle age, I suppose it is (laughs) getting there. (laughs) And and was there any obvious health problems that you had? Like, were you have you ever been like pre-diabetic, or have you ever had any metabolic issues, or anything that that 
you happy to share with us? You know, Doug and I both say this. We wish that we had gotten our blood test before we started this because I'm pretty sure if we weren't already pre-diabetic, we were definitely insulin resistant. And I'm sure that our A1CFM, anybody who's watching this and is new to the conversation, 5.5 and below is a good A1C level. Um, between 5.5 in the States, I forget what the um, numbers are in Australia, 5.5 to 6.5. Are they similar? Yeah, yeah. Are pre-diabetic and anything over 6.5 is getting an official type 2 diagnosis, um, type 2 diabetes diagnosis. Um, I have a lab test that I have to look at the date of because, and I was 5.5 or 5.6, so I was still good. But what we've learned since starting Low Carb USA and listening to the research scientists and the physicians who are talking about insulin resistance, that we really want to make sure that people start learning earlier and more often and hear this, this awareness and bring awareness to this. Insulin resistance starts happening before your A1C and your blood sugar numbers start changing. And I don't think a lot of people, even physicians and dietitians who work with diabetes specifically, I don't think they understand this yet. And a large scale of people aren't educated in this because that was one of those aha moments for me. It's like, wait a minute. When somebody talks about how insulin levels start going up on every time you have carbohydrates for, you know, have oatmeal and cereal and granola bars and then get the really added sweetness um, of cakes and sweets and puddings and stuff that every time that your pancreas is stimulated to release insulin, it often leads to needing more and more to bring that blood sugar down. So the insulin levels rise. And there are a lot of physicians, especially the ones we work with that are learning now to start testing fasting insulin, because even before those blood sugars numbers start going up, the insulin levels are going up, up, up. And you're at the cellular level, cells aren't able to utilize that insulin anymore. They're kind of getting immune to it or they're forgetting how, or they're getting blocked by uh, using how to use that insulin like it used to when we were children. Um, that's it, probably something you're, you're beginning to understand now. Well, I, I see, here's the thing, pal. I'm really blessed because I've been, uh, because of my autoimmune disease that I had for 17 years in the form of uh, gastrointestinal reflux disorder, I've got um, labs going back 10, 15 years now. So now I've got this wonderful comparison and and I can see that my ratio has just come down and down and down. And I've been pretty much, you know, a dirty carnivore for two years and I'm about to enter in another phase where I really feel like I've been able to knock my sugar cravings on the head after yeah. being, you know, six months in a pretty gnarly lockdown in Melbourne here. And when I got some blood work done in May, I'd been lion diet for about a month and my HbA1c was still at 5.6. All my other markers were awesome. My, tr- mm-hmm. my uh, cholesterol ratio was 4.4. My tries were 1.2, like 40-year-old man who used to be a big drinker and very hedonistic lifestyle. You know, was overweight for a long, long for all of my adult life, really, up until a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm still considered overweight according to the BMI scale, 
which is doesn't that drive you crazy? I know I was testing mine. I was like, what are you kidding? It's over 25% still. (laughs) How is this possible? (laughs) Well, it was funny because I got DEXA scans done as well. And I, and, and, and I always, before I saw the scan results, I always thought ignorantly that I had massive bones and it just turns out (laughs) I was fat. And like uh, that big boned, that big boned thing. I'm just big boned. But I, I have increased my skeletal bone density, Pam. And that's and awesome. that's, that's more about the internal part of the bone structure, not adding on layers of bone. So if you it's think like getting of, bigger of your big bones. Yeah, yeah. So um, just half, laying half down. A kilo, half a kilo of skeletal bone density as of about a year ago now. So I suspect it might be higher. And That's incredible. And we think that might be due to the fact that the medication that I was on caused the malabsorption of calcium uh, mm. in my diet and it was leaching out of my skeletal system. That's a theory at this point, but it's been agreed that that could be a pretty reasonable response um, from from people like Tim Noakes and Paul Mason and all the the people that you you love as well. So, yeah, they're just such a wealth of knowledge, aren't they? They are, and and I we, like I was going to say, like, because you're not a doctor, uh, you you worked as a, a what's known as a radiographer um, for most of the Western world. Um, where did you learn all of this sciencey stuff? Yeah, so. Um... I had anatomy and physiology when I was go training in my early twenties to be a radiographer. And I actually went into that field because of my love of science as well. I actually was really grateful. And most people hated the fact that we had to learn physics and it was really hard. And I didn't love it at the time and radiation biology, which is insane amount of science um, um, at the cellular level biology. I loved it. And it was interesting when we Doug really started looking at the articles and papers. I know that one of the first books he read was by Jeff Fullick and Steve Finney, the art and the art and science of low carb living, and then art and science of low carb performance. It's one of the ones that he first started in, and I read some of it. I never finished those. I wish I, I need to go back and do them, uh, read them. Um, but Tim Oaks. Um, a few articles by Tim Noakes and um, the lectures that we stumbled upon. Uh, he may have told you the story when we first started looking at it, it was articles that he was reading in the books. And um, he got up the nerve to tell his mom about July. I want to say, so it was July, 2015 when we started and we were still learning. So in October, we were still learning. Oh, that's not really low carb. Oh, that's not really low carb. Beans aren't really low carb. Oh, they're really high in carbs and they're starchy and they turn to sugar. Cause I was, I would always put lectins. Yeah. I'd always put kidney beans on my salads and I was all addicted to hummus and I thought it was so healthy. And um, <laughs> it was hot here in summertime and we were getting watermelon thinking that was a low carb fruit. And, you know, if you eat a small amount of it, it's not super sugary and it probably depends on the melon of how much sugar content is in it. But uh, we were still learning. But around that time, we were talking to Doug's mom, who was still in South Africa at the time. I think he told you they've all immigrated to Perth now. So they're all in Australia. So they're surrogate Australians. Now. <laughs> when we go and visit there, we're visiting them in Australia, but we told her what we were doing. And she says, that sounds like the Tim Noakes diet. And Doug had not heard that Tim Noakes was doing this in the Banting diet yet for the four months that we'd been investigating any of the science behind low carb. Wow. And he's like, while we were on the phone, Googling Tim Noakes and Banting and low carb. And it was like his hero. He could not believe because he's a runner 
that Tim Noakes was doing this. Um, he lived by the law of running. He thought he always says he probably would have never gone to the level of running that he did without Tim's book. And then to come to find out that he's doing this. So at the time, he was at an organization called the Real Mill Revolution. And he started looking at their website. They have a book. Um, they had a green, red, orange, uh, yeah, red, orange, green list. I think that's where we started learning like, oh, watermelon's not on it. And beans are the first time we had seen that actual uh, declaration of red, orange, and green lists of really things that you should really cut out. We had seen some, but I don't think they were as extensive or something, some things we had missed. Um, and then I was telling you, I think when we were first talking again uh, last week, um, I had to ask you, had you seen the movie Serial Killers, the movie Serial Killers, C-E-R-E-A-L-S. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I, I reckon I have a while ago, a while ago now. Um, I tried to find it again. I don't think it's on Netflix at the moment over here. but I don't either. And um, Donald was really great, uh, gracious to us, and he let us play at one of our events during the lunchtime session, the second one, which is um, running on fat. And it's the story about Sammy Inkinen, a world champion triathlete who had uh, discovered that he was getting um, insulin resistant pre-diabetic. And I can't remember had he gotten to the diagnosis of actual type two diabetes yet. So he went low carb, met with who I was just talking about, the legend in the ketogenic diet field and performance, Steve Finney. And he's actually in the movie um, and it goes through him training and testing his output of, you know, performance. And then him and his wife actually rowing from San Francisco Bay area to Hawaii, all low carb. Wow. <laughs> I think it took them 30 days and they went and really did like a check in every day video wise of how they were feeling, what they were doing, um, what they were eating and it was pretty incredible. So we got a chance to play that. And then um, we actually did it in our virtual one this past August. We played it again. He let us uh, borrow it uh, to do. But the first one was the one that we had seen. And it goes through Donald as um, the author and the star, I suppose, um, where he was just learning about low carb and he would go to the farmer's market and shop for eggs and then come home and cook the eggs and um, bacon and then talk about how he felt and his journey of starting it, how his performance was. I believe he was also a runner or maybe he was just active and he wanted to talk about how he felt and Tim and it, you know, had some clips with Tim Noakes. And at the end, I was telling you this other day, Tim says, we're changing the way the world eats one meal at a time. And I literally got chills. And I said, how can we be a part of helping this awareness and this movement because it just was mind-boggling some of the stuff that I had learned in that movie itself and also through some of the stuff that Doug had been talking about over the last the few months before that. Uh, I want to ask you a question that that um, I haven't asked many times before but I think it's an important one. The, the, the echo chamber or the cognitive dissonance or the I mean, they're probably two great ways to describe what can happen when we get excited about something and we're like, yeah, that's it, that's 100%. Like 
Um, like I like I got about supplementation four or five years ago, thinking I could shortcut nutrition, and realizing now that I was totally wrong. Um, learning about eating an all meat diet versus what I've been indoctrinated. What, like, how do you stop yourself being caught up in this? And the second part of the question is, do you one hundred percent believe that you are onto a winner with what you're doing? I do 100%. Um, you know, it's funny because even now, Doug and I don't have a lot of consistent lab work, but I can go with by how I feel. Um, and, you know, I don't know, is my LDL high? And I'm not concerned because I've listened to enough of the research currently that says it shouldn't be an issue. Shouldn't be is still something we should still be saying. We don't know 100% for, for sure, Right. Um, if you listen to Dave Feldman's research, have you met Dave Feldman yet? I haven't met Dave, but I'm a big fan. Cholesterol code, if anybody wants to look it up. He um, came to our first conference in 2016 after we decided to do it at beginning of January 2016. And he was carrying a laptop and he was going around to all the experts. Nobody knew him from Adam. He just kind of showed up as an engineer who had found some things about his LDL going up. And his sister was doing the same thing and they had both tested around the same time. So they've got the same most, you know, not everybody, brothers and sisters have the same exact genes, obviously, but they're um, from the same family and they have a lot of the same gene structure and they found some similarities and some differences. So they started testing it, but, you know, five years later, he's got a lot of data um, and him and a few cardiologists who were talking about it, Dr. Brett Scher, who's a good friend of ours. He's local here, San Diego, um, when you look at the information that inflammation is coming down with a low-carb ketogenic carnivore diet, almost across the board, I very few, I don't, can't even think of an instance where somebody's inflammation markers, if you're looking at uh, CRP levels um, and the inflammasome, uh, I think it's IF1, IFR, th- those inflammatory markers, do they go ever go up? They're almost and always just- coming and just to, right. just to um, cut you off, sorry, Pam, the, the C-reactive protein test is something that you can ask your doctor to, to lab test. I went to my GP yesterday um, and I've, got, I've gonna, got one of those tests. This is my first C-reactive protein is it? result. So it'll be really interesting uh, to see what the results are because I've got everything else, including a CAC um, scan as well. So sorry, continue. That's okay. I heard your CAC scan was... A zero. big fat zero. That's and amazing. You can't get a better score than that, everybody. <laughs> no, you can't. That's a, congratulations to you. That is a fabulous thing to know. And thanks. I've been wanting to do a CAC score for many years. And like we were talking earlier, we've Doug and I have made a lot of sacrifices doing those conferences over the last five years that we've had to put our own credit in and our own not money that we didn't have. But there wasn't a lot left over to kind of do these tests for ourselves. Um, Dave Hillman did some lab work at our last live conference that we didn't have what well, couldn't happen this year, 2020, but 2019. And they got so busy and there was so much interest that Doug and I didn't have a chance to get ours done, which we were so disappointed because we wanted to see where we were at, but we didn't. Um, so, I mean, we can continue to talk more numbers like that. A1C has come down. You were talking about triglyceride numbers. People 
I think doctors do understand that carbohydrates can contribute to triglyceride levels. So those triglyceride levels are always coming down with a low carb diet. Um, the HDL LDL ratio and your cholesterol level ratios, if all those markers are coming down, why wouldn't this be contributing to your better health? There's a lot of people who don't understand the higher fat um, consumption, the red meat consumption, um, dairy. Maybe some people are cutting out dairy because they don't tolerate it well. Um, I don't know if you're able to eat dairy um, at I, all. I don't, I don't drink milk uh, much at all. Uh, Any cream, butter, yogurts or anything like that? Butter, plenty of butter in cooking. Um, I seem to be okay, but I, when I did my lion diet in early 2020, I cut out all dairy and I did feel better. Mm. So I, I've been able to get my hands on some raw milk um, when I was visiting my brother interstate because it's illegal in the state of Victoria. And the, mm. and and I when I drank the raw milk, which is labelled as bath milk over here, right, I handled that really well. So I'm confident that eating raw dairy, I'm good. And I do eat a bit of raw cheese um, from France that you can get. And um, it's, you know, it's hard cheese. Seem to be mm. okay on that. But it, yeah, mm. that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. So it's interesting that you, you know, I think carnivore diet is the ultimate elimination diet. If people aren't familiar with it, they're thinking, why would you eat only meat? Well, some people don't tolerate a lot of other items in their diet. If they're becoming carbohydrate intolerant, which we were talking about insulin resistance, another name for insulin resistance that we like to use is carbohydrate intolerant. You're not able to process because probably you've eaten too much sugar over your lifetime, too many processed refined down to pulverized powder, um, refined grains um, that turn to sugar so quickly that our bodies aren't able to handle it so much. But even a lot of people don't process the fibers and the anti-nutrients that we've been learning about over the years in plants and vegetables and fruits. And sometimes they're binding with items that your body does need, the, the vitamins and minerals that are in animal products um, and meat, you know, meats, fish, sea, uh, seafood and um, eggs so that our bodies aren't absorbing those really important nutrients that we need. And it's kind of like, wait a minute, what? We're always told we're supposed to eat fruits and vegetables. And, and they're like the divine food to be always needing to eat, right? Well, the, yeah, and, and this, this ties in beautifully with the release of Belinda Fetke's interview, which will, um, by the time people see this, is already out, and I encourage you strongly to watch her and Gary, her husband, who's a surgeon's interview, who I know are very good friends with you and Doug, um, yeah. and will be presenting at the next low-carb conference. But um, the, the, when you start to understand how things have come about and how we've been instructed to um, eat a certain way, and then you find out through necessity, through health challenges, that it's actually the opposite of what we've been told in many cases and the way that the, the simple, effective, fast way of working out how to be the healthiest you can possibly be is to cut out everything excluding animal protein. For me, it's a no-brainer, Pam. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's no-brainer when you feel how you feel on it, right? I mean, the ultimate elimination diet goes down to nothing but bone broth. And there's like some fasting involved in eating nothing else but bone broth and then adding in a couple of things. And I think they actually add in eggs first. And there are 
a number of people who are have a sensitivity to eggs, but they'll there are some things, you know, checkbox, how do you feel? And whether you continue with those or will you take them out and add something else? Um, but, you know, like Doug's mom suffered from constipation her whole life and they always want to give her more fiber. As we're hearing more and more, maybe that more fiber is actually stopping that person up even more, um, unfortunately. Um, and sadly, because there's so much suffering in the world. And I, we've talked about eliminating suffering and being a, being in a position to be able to make sure that there's awareness going on that can help people feel better in their everyday life with information that they might not be getting from their mainstream physician, doctor, dietitian, whatever uh, information, wherever they get it. It's so mixed and um, confusing for people and it's not always helping them. It's really sad, which which let me go back and ask you, what did you mean about the echo chamber, the echo chamber of what we've learned in the past? So a lot of the, um, like the vegan dogma and it's a good, and I use this comparison a lot because it's the opposite end of the spectrum of what we're doing. And they're like, people are doing this and they're feeling fantastic and they're thriving and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and I'm not talking about the people that choose to go vegan for not wanting to eat an animal Right. Yes, exactly. Whatever, right? Yeah. But even then, like if they knew the truth about crop, you know, the, the harvesting of the crops and the the, the animals that die in that process, mm-hmm. um, that's a whole other segment. But people are like, how do you know you're right? How do you know you're onto something? Like how do you know that you've got, you're backing the right horse? And, and I, so I suppose I'm just playing devil's advocate really because. Of course. It's a, it's, for me, it's an internal thing now. And I've empowered myself with four years of reading, hundreds of books, thousands of hours of podcast. And I feel like if you deep dive into something that you're so passionate about, you start to get a really instinctual feel for what you're doing. And you know inherently whether it's right or wrong. That's that's an arrogant perspective, but I was curious to hear yours. It's not so arrogant, though. I feel like it's, like you said, intuitive. It's like an internal feeling of, cause you would have a niggle in your head that said, there's something wrong with what I'm doing here. There's something wrong. Um, or I don't feel right. Or I don't feel well still with this. I think, um, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's gotten more honed as, as healthier as, as I've gotten healthier. Yeah. I mean, there is confirmation bias of, I believe this and then I'm learning this and I'm seeing this and it's confirming my bias of what I think I believe, but I think you would know that you just don't feel well or you don't feel right about it. Um, We've met, unfortunately, a lot of vegetarians who have had to stop vegetarianism and go maybe even full carnivore because they had gotten sick. And it's just a shame because if people and it makes me sick that school children are hearing eat less meat at school to save the planet. Not only, you know, are they hearing it for, you know, it should be could uh, better for your health, which is not the full truth. It's not even half truth. Unfortunately, especially children who are developing need the amino acids and the um, things that are in meat to develop their brains and their nervous systems. And there's so much ADHD and autism and can't focus and can't sit still. I mean, some of it is our, you know, our computers and all that bombardment of information and colors and lights and flashing things. But a lot of it is they haven't had a chance to nutritionally 
have the right nutrition to develop their brain and their um, thinking levels and stuff like that. So it's really, really sickening and concerning. Um, going back to a movie and you, we were talking, I think um, you've met Pete Evans now. Um, I haven't met him yet. I haven't I've, met him I've yet. invited him to appear as a guest and we'll be confirming that very soon. So Very good. Very good. That's exciting. Um, such a nice person and made the movie, the magic pill. And there were, there was a child that they follow through the movie who had autism and autism is often not very misunderstood and not well known. And people don't really know what to do. And even know if there's medications that they're using to treat autism because they don't really know. And there's a spectrum of how severe the autism symptoms are. Well, they go low carb and the child was six or seven. She'd never spoken a word. And then her vocabulary started growing. Her communication skills started growing. So then they were cutting out. Not only were they cutting out grains and sugars, but they were adding in meats and healthy fats. And we say healthy fats, still including saturated fats, which is that echo chamber of, you know, I was thinking earlier, doing the exact opposite of what we've ever been told. That was pounding down some salt because when we don't have carbohydrates and high insulin levels, we don't retain salt and water, which is why our blood pressure is normalized, but they often go low. And so I'm always needing extra salt and extra fluids. And I had, we had worked out and uh, I know uh, Doug said that he did talk extensively about Dr. Ben's workout, which I was thinking about whether my osteoporosis um, has reversed because I was 46, 47, 48 49 until I, uh, I think I was just turning 50 when I started Dr. Ben's program, losing muscle mass, losing strength. That was, there was a time in that last decade, I was in the worst strength and fitness of my life, even though, and then putting on weight, even though we were doing martial arts three times a week, I was trying to run. I never ran it, ran as well as Doug did because I was still learning and I was actually coming from a very severe, um, just disabling pain in my feet that um, we just realized this past year had a lot to do with a back injury I sustained working in the medical field in the hospital about 20 years ago. Wow. Um, And I had seen talking about mainstream medicine, also not misunderstanding, not only nutrition, but chronic, chronic, you know, chronic illnesses, but also chronic pain. And um, I was suffering from things that started with the little things that people should have been really easily able to keep from going as bad as they did. You know, it wasn't anything where I had really bad discs or really bad bones, you know, dislocations in my back or spine or anything like that. It was like muscle spasms that people should be able to figure out how to treat without giving um, uh, painkillers, really strong painkillers or really strong muscle relaxants. Every time I would go in, here's some more, a big bottle, giant bottle of pain medications. Here's another bottle. I'm like, seriously, I do not want that. I want to get to the bottom of this back pain that makes it so I can't lift a gallon of milk or push a shopping cart or do any of the things I like to do. (laughs) Um, Long story long, and that's probably for another conversation, but, you know, getting stronger and doing resistance training and building bone um, has, and seeing the results over the last year or two has been just such a blessing to me when you were talking about getting bone health back. But um, we can talk about that in a minute. Having salt, not um, adding red meat, having salt, 
and adding back fats and not being in the echo chamber of do not eat all those taboo things. And based on information that we're now learning has been kind of not even morphed. Like some of the time it was from people who are bullying other scientific researchers into saying, I'm right and you're wrong, even though they were saying the opposite thing. It's just shocking when you look at it. They were doing research on heart disease and this person over here believed that it was saturated fat. Ansel Keys, we'll say his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ansel Keys and his, you know, Farnies. um baddies. <laughs> And, you know, Gary Towles, we had him on and I had the honor of asking him questions. And I was like tongue tied because he had said so many names of research that had gone on in the early 1900s, late 1800s around fat and sugar. Different, different research studies that were performed, different scientists. And then even the data was kind of confused. And when they meant this, even the people who are reading it later confused the data and said, that it was this and really they meant that. So, but people be bullied into leaving out studies about sugar actually causing more contributing to heart disease, sugar actually more contributing to diabetes and, and then leading to all these low fat recommendations um, and not eating meat. It's I, mind boggling. It, it, it is mind blowing. And I've got a theory all right, I've got a real theory, and I just kind of touched on this yesterday with Doug. I believe, Pam, that if everyone ate a species-centric diet and they had, they were given all the knowledge or the truth, the actual truth, right, and then, then you can make an informed decision, I don't yeah. think that man, and I'm talking about like mankind, would allow the same tragedies to happen ever again because when you eat and you live like this one thing i've noticed personally and this might be a direct result of my testosterone increasing my vitality my you know functioning how i've evolved over millions of years to function i don't take shit anymore and i stand up for things that i believe in right i'm not perfect at it Mm -mm. but there's no way that if some motherfucker tried to bribe you know, a study that was going to change the course of history, which is what happened with that sugar study in Harvard where they demonized fat and and thought sugar was okay. You know, you talk about people like Hitler and like Chairman Mao, like with the genocide, the numbers of people that are dying from from carbohydrate poisoning, if you want to call it that, Mm -hmm. dwarf and make Hitler look like like nobody. It's true. It's true. Um, It's actually really depressing and shocking. If you look at the numbers of people type 2 diabetes, I think the number that I saw recently in this last week, 50% of the human population is going to have prediabetes or diabetes by the 2030. Wow. That is just a tragedy, like you said, but it's more than that. And there are going to have to be people that are held responsible. Um, and I don't know how that's going to happen. We've talked about class action lawsuits, but, you know, where are those going to go and who those are going to go to? They're going to go to someone who did research and is now dead or the organizations that have continued to bring that information along, even though they've been 
um, confronted or approached with alternate theory theories, if you want to be really diplomatic about it, because, you know, diplomacy goes a long way. And then there's, you're just plain wrong and you're just plain continuing to lie to people. I mean, there's, there's that spectrum of, you know, use that language or being diplomatic about it. But, you know, there is some encouraging stuff going on with the, like the American Diabetes Association, the ADA, and the Australian Diabetes Association hopefully will be following. I know in Western Australia and Perth, or WA in Western Australia, they have acknowledged that a low carbohydrate diet is very good at um, managing blood glucose and keeping blood sugars down. Um, so there is progress being made to undo all the damage that has been done from the recommendations that have been going on for the last 50 years. Can you imagine that it's been, it's actually been longer than that, hasn't it? If they started it in the fifties and sixties and we're just in 2020 now, 70 years. It's, it's directly responsible for the early death of every single one of my relatives. Ugh. And, and here's a theory, here's a theory of what we might be able to do, Pam. What about, giving people a period of amnesty for three years. Once, I thought once, about that. Yeah. You know, say I'm, I'm wrong. Say, I, you know, I'm wrong. I'm going to go back. I'm going to start changing our recommendations. We don't have to hold. You're not going to be being held responsible. American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association to say I'm wrong. I We did things wrong, right? Yeah. That's all we want, right? And then. So you so so you think about Lance Armstrong, right? If you, I don't know, I don't. I've seen a couple of his interviews, um, but if you asked him what was the most painful thing about coming out and admitting he was a a cheat, and not just a a cheat, like a prolific, like pro, the worst kind of cheat. I, I that's why I never like cycling. This is my intuitive. Like I never like the Tour de France. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and if you ask him, like, what was the hardest thing about coming clean? Is it the fact that he had all his titles stripped? So, and if that is the case, then 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 these people that have been, you know, got the three year amnesty, we will strip you of all of your um, recognition, all the stuff that that people sort of validate themselves with, if you go down and continue down this path. Um, so they've got the option, you know, to continue, and then you just lose everything. Like, I'm sure there's lots of thought process that needs to go into this is very delicate, but um, I don't know. It's the first thing that came to my head. Yeah, there's that. And then there's the people who are like, I stood by you all this, those years, Lance Armstrong, like you couldn't have been lying all that time. And then he says, I was lying all that time. And you're like, oh, are you serious? So people will do that to the American Heart Association and they will do that to the Diabetes Association and the Dietitians Association where, you know, Belinda has shocked us with three years ago, I guess, was it three years ago, two years ago, right? When we first went and visited them and you just, you know, her podcast is being released. So you're, a lot of your listeners are hearing the story where she was uncovering stuff that just started with a, why are these people attacking my husband and who are they? And, oh, it's this person. And, oh, it's that person. And, oh, they're in this organization. And then, oh, they had a connection to this organization that started a hundred years ago and they started the American Dietitians Association. Hmm. And that's when they started recommending so many fruits and vegetables and a vegetarian diet. And they're just, and is it adamant because of the roots and did it come, where did it come from? You know, is it, are they going, that organization 
may or may not change. I think that they could come around without the religious ideologies that it was started with, with Seventh-day Adventists. I would hope that, you know, they could come around and admit some things that could be changed. But it, It's funny, Pam. I, um, I had one of the most well-known Seventh-day Adventists as a guest in the podcast, wonderful human being, Wendley Phipps, the mm-hmm. singer, who's, who's most famously known for his Amazing Grace rendition. Beautiful baritone voice, sung for six presidents, is Oprah's spiritual guide, was a friend, close personal friend of Bill Clinton. In fact, he encouraged Bill to come clean about the Lewinsky scandal. He was there when Mandela was released. He was he sung to Mother Teresa before she passed away. And I like he's the, there's no way that that guy would know about this backstory about how Alan G. White and Kellogg's and sanitarium, and people would be mortified. They, they, they would be mortified to know about this background that Belinda talks about. So anyway. It is when her book comes out or, you know, if anybody can listen to and share her interviews just to shine, to start that awareness of, wow, you know, because I think there's a lot of people nowadays who they really hold as truth, the nutrition recommendations that we've been given, low fat, low fat, low fat, you know, limit your red meat and and salt consumption because of this, because that's what they've been told for such a long time. Salted water, by the way, with magnesium and potassium. (laughs) Yep, I did a big thing and I put salt in my tea and I've got some here. I should probably add some because I put salt in my tea and then I put a little bit of monk fruit sweeteners to cover up a little bit of the salt and I just love it. I drink it all day and it keeps me having enough, you know, enough salt and high and fluids and I don't put milk and sugar in my tea. I put salt and a little bit of monk fruit. Who would have ever thought as we're saying, but um, yeah, but there's so many people like I can, I can remember saying when I first saw some of the people and, who are um, doing a low carb diet, putting butter in their coffee. And I thought there is no way in a million years I would ever, ever, ever put butter in my coffee. Yeah, That's minute. disgusting. Six months later, who was putting butter in their coffee? Well, but I read a little bit of information about it first. And if you think about it, it's cream just <laughs> solidified. Yeah. You know, it just went against what I had believed or what I had heard or been taught right so we can change our beliefs we can change with information because i was like learning about at a cellular level how does my how does my body use this stuff well if you'd said to me a year or two years ago that to promote organuary which is an (laughs) initiative to uh, encourage people to explore the organ meat of any animal uh, chicken livers, you know, like cod liver, whatever it might be. Um, there'll be some more information coming about coming around about this, probably in the links below. Um, if you told me a few years ago that I'd be taking a big chunk of raw uh, lamb liver <laughs> and swallowing it and actually quite enjoying it, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah, I know um, 
Doug always laughs. He's like, it, it, he almost giggles in the background when I'm cooking liver or when I say, let's have liver tonight. And he's like, who would have ever thought you would enjoy this so much? I'm sure I was one of the ones who was like, that's gross. I'm not eating liver, just like Brussels sprouts, but they're amazing now how you, <laughs> how you cook them. But I know like, and my body tells me every week, couple of weeks, I really need to cook some or have some pate. Um and I, we usually have a big dose of it. There's some people who will cook a little bit every other day or every day going, you know, uh, full hardcore. We were talking about hardcore or softcore or kind yeah. of carnivore. Yeah, um, yeah. We're pretty carnivore. And I am. I never thought that I would be just eating meat at, at night for dinner and being happy and s- fulfilled and satis- satiated, you know. Yeah. And, um, and then every once in a while, and I love to make chicken livers. They're super easy. They're cheap. Um, they're, you know, they take just a couple of minutes. Um, we, we, I spice them in a certain way. It was just salt, pepper, a little coriander, um, garlic powder, onion powder. And I do my beef livers like that in butter. Oh, I did them for a while on bacon fat, but doing them in butter was just really tasty. But bacon fat's pretty good, too. Um, who would have thought? <laughs> well, I, I hear something I've been thinking about just in the last week or so, uh, Pam. Um, I was seriously considering doing a month-long liver-only challenge. Um, and I just, I, I, my mind was just boggled with like, is that, you know, am I going to kill myself with the iron? No, <laughs> that's not how that works. You know, like what would be the harm in doing that? Because you would only really eat it. When you got hungry enough to eat it, it is pretty lean, I'm guessing. Would it be too lean, maybe? I'm wondering how fatty it is. Um, And then, well, and then you would probably, would you be eating it raw or would you cook it in bacon fat or butter? Well, probably a mix, I suppose. I'd need to work out the leanness of it Um, because you would drop it. If it was as lean as I think it might be, you would lose a lot of body fat, really, because you'd be in a deep ketogenic state. Um, which you could add be... some uh, beef heart. That's actually got quite a bit of fat around it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's kind of like a Dave Feldman kind of experiment because uh, I've got a CGM monitor coming, arriving any day. This is the first time I use one of those. And, um, and, as, and I said to Doug, because uh, I've struggled during the lockdown with sugar, and for me, it was ice cream because it was all—it was still kind of carnivore, even though the sugar's not. But there's cream, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've just nearly finished listening to Alan Carr's. Uh, it's called Good Sugar, Bad Sugar book, audio book. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, um, he he died in two thousand eight. Uh, are you familiar with the, who Alan Carr is? The Easy Way mm-hmm. Stop Smoking guy. He, I know. He's a, an American guy um, who actually died of lung cancer, but he'd been given up cigarettes for 30 years, I think, by the time he died. But he yeah. used to smoke between 80 to 100 cigarettes a day, 60 to 100 a day, yes. and and um, cured it. And, and I used it to give up smoking six years ago. And, like, it kills the addiction and the, the desire and the want as well. But he's written a number of books regarding, you know, how to fly if you're a nervous flyer. And he, there's one about sugar. Hmm. And and the, the philosophy is that he just talks you through the rationale of what you're doing. In this book, he promotes using fruit as, as the good sugar, fruit and vegetables as the good sugar. So all I've done is just replaced his recommendation of sugar, of fruit, with, with animal protein. 
And it's seemingly working because I've lost all interest in sugar. And I kind of know when it's working because I get that, right, I'm on a mission now, about to do a 30-day pretty strict carnivore challenge. Hmm. Might be a bit of dairy in there. And um, so I'm just like, if I'm able to knock that on the head, like that's when I feel elite. That's when I get this little like, I've described it as like a mini orgasm um, in my gut when I'm exclusively carnivore and, and like zero carbohydrate and when I'm running, like it's a really amazing feeling and I think it just relates to my gut healing and pumping all the all the chemicals that are created there. Can you explain to me when you said it was an autoimmune gastroesophageal reflux disease, is there a name for it or is good, it what? good. Cause I know I have, I had reflux disease for many years and I didn't ever have a diagnosis of, you know, anything autoimmune or anything like that. And it was just always said, Oh, you have too much acid that's coming back up, which sadly it's usually don't have enough acid. It's low acid. It's low acid. And God, it makes me so mad that nobody ever taught me that from early, like 22 years old taking anti-acid not the not the anti-acids i didn't know sometimes but the inhibitors yes and those just mess up everything else in your body because you're not absorbing and why didn't anybody ever tell me i had low stomach acid and then i could maybe take i've been doing apple cider vinegar but i want to experiment doing have you done hydrochloric acid i I haven't needed to because it's healed and Mm. and and i'll share something with you very intimate (laughs) So, because um, you were talking earlier about like your mom, was it your mum or, or Doug's mum that suffered from constipation? Um, when when my when my uh, gut really f- like felt like it was healed, my I no longer emitted any noxious gas or pouches. Mm. And there was even one point where I wanted it to to have a look at my own stool sample. <laughs> and I put on a, I put on a, a like a surgical glove, and and I captured in my hand one of my bowel movements. I know this sounds really gross for people, TMI, but this is important. And it I is. got close enough to get to have a smell of it. Now this is someone who, from a baby, my mother said that my my poo as a baby was vile, like it used to be <laughs> in the room. I've always had digestive issues, right? And gone. And and so people are saying, Labor, are you telling me that your shit doesn't stink? That's exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly kind of. what I'm telling you. And I know that sounds really crass, but it's just like it's a it's the best way to ascertain your own health. If your poo doesn't smell, like it smelled, it smelled organic. Like that's it. It smelled like it should smell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I'm not gonna bring myself to do anything more than that. <laughs> <laughs> But, but it makes sense. It makes sense. Like, and that's on zero fiber. Zero fiber. My gut's functioning well. I go to the bathroom way less because I'm not processing any fibrous crap. Um, and my breath smells sweet and delicious, according to people in my life. You know what I mean? Like when I'm when I'm doing this carnival. So something's working really well. Forget the point of my story, but uh, that was it. <laughs> I think we're still talking about how you know how you're doing the right thing, but I mean, it yeah. had led to from somewhere else. Oh, we were talking about gastroesophageal reflux disease and, you know, belching. I'll still go through 
some things that I haven't quite figured out, especially over the last year, but some of it was supplements and some those supplements that were addressing uh, menopausal hormonal issues that I was seeing a naturopath and they just sent me down a terrible path of stomach inflammation again. Um, instead of getting my amino acids from a good meat source, which I should be getting enough from, or making sure that I have enough stomach acid, we tried supplementation and it just irritated my gut lining so bad. I, in fact, I was the first time that on my way down to Australia, I mean, no, it was probably last year, our second time. And I was chugging aloe vera and um, some other things that helped that I found that helped that diglyceride uh, licorice tablets are really helpful for me. Um, and taking those proton pump inhibitors for, for a short time again, because I just was miserable. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going on vacation. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, when it, I know I feel good, I feel good. And I actually probably should make some bone broth and continue some more of the healing because I'm in a pretty good place right now. Well, the, the, what I would encourage is to, um, this is, you know, I, I know you're doing some intermittent fasting. But certainly Doug said he was. I've experimented with some longer fasts and I've done up to 96 hours drinking drinking this. So it actually makes the fasting, once you build up to it, way more, way more doable. But, but even 24, 48-hour fasts, long enough to get you into that therapeutic ketogenic state and to give your gut like amazing rest. And then, because once you've got all those therapeutic ketones coursing through your body and the and the stem cells that are being renewed, which only happen at about 72 hours as well, 48 to 72 hours, and if you go dry fasting, then it expediates that process, then the magic seems to happen. Mm. So um, I, I, I combined it with uh, becoming really fit and all my visceral fat went. That seemed to be that point when my gut, really really fixed itself and it's only ever come back i had um, a bunch of dumplings flour dumplings easter last year my, anna my fiance is russian and so i went you know what i haven't had gluten for three three years at this point where it was i want to see how i react to it and it was horrendous but <laughs> massive bloating so i went on a 72 hour fast i dropped seven kilos over Ooh. three days because it was all the fluid that just retained and just and that dumped and then it was fixed. So the fasting seems to help a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time where I couldn't even not eat because the inflammation in the gut, unless I ate something that kind of coated it, it was just like burning. But it, you know, it might be at the place that I could do a longer fast. I know that always helps if I'm putting on to lean out a little bit. Just like start small, start, you know, start with like a day. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I know. 24 hours. That's that tricky one where if someone hasn't done it yet or before, skipping that whole meal all and going to bed without something is interesting. Or sometimes you can do you can do 24 hours and eat in the morning and then go through the night and then eat the next day. Yeah, you know, whatever works. Like I, I ran a half marathon distance on the weekend and I did it um, about nearly 20 hours fasted. Mm. Um, but then I didn't eat until 26 hours and the first you thing I hungry. ate raw liver <laughs> yeah I just I, I was just listening to my body and I just and you become way more in tune with it and and you do the psychological barrier of fasting that long like wondering if you're going to die when you realize like just watch an episode of Naked and Afraid 
where sometimes they don't eat for 10, 12 days in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing to eat. And yet, Except you bugs. Like, yeah. So unless you want to eat bugs, you're not going to eat anything. <laughs> So, uh, when we take this offline, I'll be happy to coach you through some of this stuff. And and mentally, um, it's become a lot easier because I started out small as well, and I was a six meal a day kind of guy initially. So, right, um, yeah, yeah, it's not Back a perfect science, day. but you won't die. Trust me. That's right. You won't die. I've done it even through busy through, through our conferences. I thought no last last live event two thousand nineteen. It got so busy. And I kept saying, does anybody want to go get lunch? Nobody wanted to go get lunch and we were busy. And so we just kept working. And then we had registration in the evening, pre-registration before it started. And it got to be 7.30. I was like, oh, I'm not going to eat dinner now. It's too late. And yeah. <laughs> I just really want to go to sleep because I'm tired and I want to be rested for when we start. So I'm going to go to bed. And it seems weird like you're going to go to bed hungry because didn't we all get punished? You're going to have to go to bed hungry. if you <laughs> Would have been <laughs> the your- best thing for us. That could be the best thing for us and not punishment, right? The, Going um, about a meal. The, I did about an 8K run at 4 minute 15 pace, uh, yeah. uh, 35 or 40 hours fasted uh, early this year. Wow. And That's amazing. felt unreal. Now, did you run before or is this running nude for you? No. So here's the, here's the great thing, Pam. So as of, and I'm sorry for people that have, Listen to the podcast a lot. I've heard this. <laughs> As of May 2018, the furthest I'd ever really run was five kilometers in one go, right? Um, I'd started, I wasn't carnival then, but I was uh, um, doing keto with really sweet potato and avocado and um, a little bit of fruit. And I dropped a bit of weight and I was running to work, which was 5Ks each way. Started out one day a week and then slowly built up. I was running to work five days a week. So I was doing 50Ks a week. Uh, just running to work. Hmm. And I had this amazing emotional breakthrough with an apology message that I sent my mother. And that that weekend, uh, I ran 24 nonstop, fasted. And the following weekend, I ran 27. And the weekend after that, I ran my first marathon in 356. And then five what? weeks after that, I did a 50K <laughs> Tan Ultra, which has no got way. quite a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> that was in five hours and seven minutes or something. And then so I ran. Third, how many Ks? Okay. And that, there's right. quite a bit of uphill with that. So it's not flat. And then in September of 2018, I ran my very first 100-kilometer ultra. Um, I got injured halfway through. I did my iliotibial band. Oh. I still completed it after limping for, for <laughs> half of the run. Straight-legged. <laughs> And then, and then I attempted another hundred five weeks later in Queensland with double the elevation, and I got forty one k's through before I was medically withdrawn. And oh. um, and I know what the IT band was um, triggered from. Um, I tried to do a karate kick at the start of the run when I was cold, <laughs> and that's exactly uh, with the benefit of hindsight. So, and I've run I've run that hundred twice now, and um, run I don't know five or six ultras, um, over 40 Ks, you know? Wow. Well, I'll have to apologize to your listeners that I didn't already know that. And I'm still getting to know you better while we're talking, which is amazing. Um, Oh, don't apologize. You can do that. And anyone can do that in that short period of time. 
I'm just honored that you contacted us to have this chat because it's really fun to get to know. I, you know, I'm one of those people who never thought it could run and always thought that it took natural ability. And when I met Doug 12 years ago, um, it's hard to believe it's been that long, but he was training for an ultra marathon um, and probably ran it two or three times in our early years. Um, we first, when we first moved in together, he was training, followed that man around the city in my car with Cokes, by the way, Coke, Coca-Cola in the back because he was training, <laughs> yeah, running on Coke. sugar, sugar water um, for miles, you know, the Comrades Marathon in South Africa. Um, so how many Ks is 55 miles? Uh, yeah, 90 something Ks. Yeah. 60 yeah, miles is 100. Yeah. So, and, you know, I tried to learn to be a good runner, but never really, I got to, um, what did I get to? I got to probably 10 K a little bit more than a 10 K. And I thought I was getting really close to half marathon. And then I did something weird when I was stretching and pulled a nerve that just went in my foot and it was really sore for months. So I'd lost my training that I'd gotten to, and I've never gotten that far again. So um, maybe one day. Well, you know, here, in my here's 50s. a very personal question. <laughs> what what um, body fat percentage are you at the moment? Do you know? I don't know. You know what? We were really hoping to have our live conference again this year because for the last two years, we've had DEXA scan there. Yeah. And um, for our local community, um, we've been meeting for at least two years every month, which we haven't been able to do. Um, and about every six months, we would... Um, have the DEXA scan come out and do it. And so we could get an update. Now, when I started Dr. Ben's smart resistance program that you and Doug talked about yesterday, slow maximum resistance training. And it's just great because anybody at any level can do it. You know, I was starting, I had done some resistance training. I was doing martial arts with Doug, which I never thought I would ever do either boxing and <laughs> kickboxing. And I gave Doug a black eye and he's given me bruises like crazy and I thought what well, we'd never do stuff like that but it was so fun um but when I started doing the resistance training with him it's something I can do at my level and him you know he would run away from me and I, we could never run together but we could do this together he can do his weight set and I can do my weight set at home now we do them with bands so we just put however many uh weight bands on and I actually have to spot him on a number of them because we do it from a door hold and I have to hold him so he doesn't like um what's the word catapult back into the door i have to after you hold him and his weight is getting so strong that i can almost not hold him anymore but um i did this for 12 months last um not this past august so i'm on two years two years ago i started doing this 12 months after doing it i had lost 14 pounds of fat and put on four pounds of muscle wow for a 50-year-old woman, people were telling me that's almost unheard of. It and is I, unheard of. And I was like, yes, right? Um, I would like to do it now and see. I At the beginning of this year, I had to have some dental work. And I, I was extending my fast. And really, I do really well with only one meal a day um, and to be lean out. I lost another five pounds that beginning of last year. And I've put those five pounds on in this last year up and down through COVID pretty consistent with our weight resistance training to a certain point. And then we had to move and then we had to do the conference and we stopped. But 
we did start back up right after with, with Dr. Ben being our personal trainer. We're so fortunate to have him and he really pushes us and he's actually incorporated some extra oomph at the end of all of the resistance training. So it's 30 to 60, 90 seconds to failure. When you guys talked about that, you and Doug, um, with like an isometric hold at the end of it till you just can't hold it. Some of, you know, and I I can physically see my muscles, triceps coming back. Someone comment, commenting on my quads the other day and looking at my quads and like having some limited weight bearing and limited weight training, a limited um, activity level over the number of years in the last decade, I lost a lot of muscle mass, a couple injuries. I lost some muscle mass, but being able to put it on that quickly, like I had had an injury to my knee martial arts about uh, probably eight months to a year before starting the very beginning of Dr. Ben's program. And I was not sure how I was going to do. He talked about how anybody at any level can do this and doing, um, quad leg extensions where you're seated and you get your feet behind the bar and you raise up that weighted um, quad exercise for the quad exercise. Yeah. It's not very taxing on your knee joint. So I was able to do those within six to eight weeks. I was going, Oh, my muscles coming back in this leg that had been injured where I had lost a bunch of my uh, quadricep muscle. It was totally atrophied from not being able to do things as my knee hurt. And within six to eight weeks, it was coming back. Wow. And people were noticing be- between Doug and I that there was a change. And I know recently we had someone come up to work out with us because she wasn't sure what she was doing and she was doing it right. I was like, to come work out with us and we'll kind of give you some pointers. And she was like, wow, look at your leg muscles. Your legs are really muscular. I'm like, they are? Am I actually getting my leg muscles back? And she was like, no, really. And even Doug was shaking his head. But we're working really hard since end of uh, beginning, mid of August with Dr. Ben catapulting us to do it a little bit harder and we went out and visited oh i've lost you 30 years or something 50 years he's got them all calibrated perfectly so they move really like like perfectly we just lost me okay 15 seconds sorry pam hang on my you know what can you hear me now yeah yeah Okay. My Wi-Fi, I'm so glad it didn't go out. I had forgotten it went out a couple of times over uh, today. Um, uh, For the last two months, three months, we've worked out really hard with Dr. Ben giving us his personal training. And then last week, two weeks ago, we were in Arizona and his um, gym that he's done up so beautifully. It's got all of his equipment is perfectly calibrated. It moves like super smoothly and really always coached us into that little extra oomph. So I would like to see, long story long, what my body mass percentage or, you know, BMI is now. Um, because I'm putting on, I'm back to the weight that I had lost at the beginning of the year, but I think some of that is muscle. Well, because the reason I ask is, and, and people people around the world must be going, you can't ask a woman how old she is and what a bit of a body mass. Well, I just, I, just, I just did, right? And the yeah. reason being, I I believe, Pam, that the ideal weight to run, I think you need to be under about 20% body mass. 
You would think I, we were volunteering at a running club and I felt so bad for some of the people. Like I couldn't understand how they could run carrying as much weight as they were. Not anything derogatory, but I was actually really impressed with the amount of time and effort and distance they ran with that ex- carrying that extra body weight. They were just determined that they were going to continue this. Well, I think it, it is a largely mental thing, right? And and mm-hmm. you're right. And I think those people, because mm-hmm. I've seen some massive people complete marathons and even some ultra marathon distance runners that are, I ran with one woman up in Queensland, uh, her name was Mary. She was so inspirational. She had lost a hundred kilos. She was still 150 kilos and she was like five foot five. She was massive, right? And she finished. It took her... 40, 44 hours because we she reached out to me on social media afterwards and I, I reached what? out to her. 44 hours through 100 k's um in the rainforest of Queensland and that is a phenomenal effort like she practically walked it right well she did who walk. can run for 44 hours or walk for 44 hours wow she, she was doing it for her daughter like she she was just and that's mm. that mental tenacity right yes. ultra ultra runners like just once you've gone you past that that first boundary and Doug will, you know, identify with this as well. And you will, cause you would have seen it as well, but like you just believe that anything's possible. Um, but, but my point is for you personally to enjoy running, if you're able to get lean and what that might look like is it might require some extended fasting and the elimination of dairy. Uh, that's one thing I haven't been able to do yet, but yeah. it is on my list of things to try. We're s- I feel like we're, um, what's the word, enjoying having dairy so much after, like we'll have a meat, we'll have steak dinner, and then we have a few pieces of cheese after, and yeah. I haven't been able to cut those out. There's been a couple of times where I'm like, no, I don't need any, but no, I think I'll have some anyway, or I'll just have a piece or two. We haven't done that yet. And there was a time where I was doing a fairly dairy-free coffee in the morning, but then we just migrated into mostly cream in my coffee. So those two things, I'd be interested to cut out and see how I do. Well, it's just just one of those things. I think 60% of the global population are lactose intolerant. And who knows, like, unless you can get raw dairy that's properly grass-fed, like, it's, it's really hard to know what impact it has on our body. And and um, like even eggs, I know Doug was talking about how he's not great on eggs. I've seemingly developed um, like a, a nausea associated with eating eggs. Awesome. And I think it might be to do with the feed that the chickens are getting, whether it be soy based or whatever, even though they're pastured because of the, the rules, the legality in the state of Victoria during drought, they can incorporate non-organic feed to keep them supplemented. Anyway, it's a whole other um uh, subject matter, but um, I feel best on medium or rare, rarely cooked or raw meat, uh, and lose weight like a madman when I got no dairy in there. Yeah, yeah, something you know, it was it's interesting because the other thing that people often say cut out nuts and dairy, and I thought never in a million years would I be able to cut out nuts, and I did that. So if I could do that, then. I could probably do dairy. Yeah, I just well, have to put my mind to it. And I think I need Doug to do it with me. 
having your partner and for anyone listening that wants to experiment with this carnival like encourage your better half if they truly respect you and love you as an individual no matter what their 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 direction in life a good partner will support you and do it with you in my opinion and this might cause a divorce or two i don't care like because you become like the five people you spend the most time around and you know doug eats like you eat anna eats how I eat and vice versa, like, and it makes such a big difference because if you've only got one of you trying to be strong, it doesn't work. No, it's a little bit harder. So how's Anna doing with it? So steaks for dinner and organ meat for? <laughs> she she um, has a visible eight pack. She's Russian, <laughs> Russian and Japanese uh, heritage. She's quarter Japanese. So she really loves her her fish as well. Um, she certainly smashes a lot of red meat. Um, she probably ate a bit more uh, fruit than I, but she's metabolically really healthy and she's about 19% body fat at the moment, which for a female at 33, like with a visible eight pack, she's got no worries. Um, she doesn't, she, she, she's stunning. She's stunning. She's glowing. And I've been comparing some photographs of her and I from two years ago which is how long we've just we've been together just over two years now. And I look better now than I did two years ago, even though I'm carrying a bit more weight. Um, my skin is radiating health and same with her. Makes perfect sense now. Makes Who would have thought? Sense. It's surprising that, you know, skin issues go away or skin health gets better. Is it the collagen? Is it the amino acids? Is it the protein? What is it? Or is it just the elimination of some of those other things? It's everything. It's all everything. put together. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, Pam, this has been a, a brilliant, wonderful, enlightening conversation for me. I feel like we should bring it to a close. But before we do, is there anything that you'd like to finish on for our audience? Gosh, I just some of the things we touched on, just continue learning. Never think that you know everything there is to know about health and nutrition. Um, and what we've been talking about, we were, we've been talking about experimenting and seeing what works for you. It's individual. Um, not everybody does the same things as everybody else. You know, maybe so many of us would do better carnivore. There are people who can do better vegetarian. And we're not saying there's anything bad about that if that is you, but be mindful of anything, any of the warning signs of either one that you're not doing well and address that. Right. Um, let's continue to do like Doug and I never realized how important, because we went into this wanting to bring awareness and education to people individually, but we never realized how important it was for our medical professionals or medical practitioners, the person who treats us for our health, not our sickness to learn new things. So they might think they know everything as well. And if there's something that you want to talk to them about or address in your health that they're not really familiar with, look up and bring them information because we're providing it on lowcarbusa.org. We're providing it on societymetabolichealthpractitioners.org information that can be brought to the dietitian, to your physician assistant, nurse practitioner. MD, whatever, whoever it is that you see, your chiropractor, anybody, there's clinical guidelines on there. There's research studies that help people understand in an area that maybe they don't understand. Ladies and gentlemen, she is divine. Pam, divine.
It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.